Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. back and welcome and it's november the 4th we have what julie maybe 20 working days left this year something like that i know you better get cracking that's better true make sure fourth quarter rocks and by the way if you've not gotten your 2022 business plan done yet it is super simple all you have to do is text the numbers 2022 to 47372 text the numbers 2022 to 47372 and we'll text you back um, the link to download your 2022 real estate business plan and remember, the 2022 business plan is a fill-in-the-blank business plan. The first part is Julie and I explaining all the philosophical and, I think, financial aspects of completing a business plan and goal setting. And the last part really is the fill-in-the-blank business plan. This is free to you. All you've got to do is text the numbers 2022 to 47372. Text the numbers 2022 to 47372. So we're going to pick up where we started the day before yesterday, talking about it's called different things, really, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's called the phases of mastery, the stages of mastery, the stages of learning. But we ended last or the day before yesterday talking about unconscious incompetence. Mm-hmm. And uh, then yesterday we were talking, obviously, a lot about the whole Zillow story. And we're going to just vamp a little bit more on Zillow because there's so much more information that's coming out about just the insanity of what was going on over in uh, Zillow HQ with regards to buying houses. It's Again, I said this yesterday and I absolutely meant it. If there's not some sort of movie that doesn't come out of this, I'll be shocked. I mean, remember The Big Short? I was thinking you just read my mind. Yep, yes. The Big Short. Remember, guys, that movie it was talking about? It was amazing, great, incredible movie talking about essentially the whole mortgage debacle and the story of the, you know, the people that essentially were shorting mortgages back when everyone said that was, you know, mortgages and real estate could never go down in value and all the rest of it. And sure mm-hmm. enough, it did. And uh, you guys remember that movie? Well, I think there's going to be another movie made about this colossal fail with Zillow. Because what we're learning every single day as more information comes out is just the sheer insanity of it all. It was uh, Kramer yesterday mm-hmm. on CNBC who, after watching the Rich Barton, um, Jules Short you know, interview talking about- That's how, the CEO of Zillow. For oh, yeah, yeah. So, thank you. So, yeah, exactly. CEO of Zillow. And uh, Kramer basically came out and said he couldn't believe the arrogance of Rich Barton. I watched the same thing. Truthfully, I didn't see that much arrogance, but I did see a hell of a lot of hubris. Yeah. You know, I definitely did see somebody who didn't look like he necessarily was willing to admit that it was his lack of uh, his lack of leadership that caused this company to fall off the rails. And the uh, title of yesterday's podcast was is Zillow's failure a victory for real estate? And I have to say, yes, I think so. Yes, it is. As it, as it will play out, you know, we're going to get some more details. I'm sure it'll be investigated. Uh, I can't remember. Somebody once said, if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. Yeah. You know, I mean, this this is not a small fail, especially as, as some of the facts come out. I read something this morning where investors were talking about how, yeah, I became a millionaire by doing the following. Well, the, guys, listen to this. Yeah. So this is what, I'm, this, what Julian and I are talking about. So we read Bloomberg, but we also read some of these financial uh, blogs and whatnot because mm-hmm. it's just interesting but Julie set her Google alerts for Zillow, and then she found came across this one story. This will blow your mind. Ready for this, guys? Yeah. So I've, I, there were several investors, but two in particular, one in Arizona, one in Ohio, of all places. 
who said, yeah, we became millionaires by doing this. We bought normal people houses at normal prices, and we knew that Zillow would overpay by usually about $100,000, and that's how we would flip them to Zillow. So explain. Isn't that interesting? So so let's say that, um, you know, let's just say that you're a for sale by owner and I'm an investor, and I come to you and I say, yeah, I'll, I'll pay your price, knowing in the back of my head that I will then, in a couple of months, with or without some repairs, be able to sell it at a vast markup to Zillow because I know that they'll overpay. So that was going on. And it's not like Zillow didn't know what, you know, investor paid for the house to be closed on. They weren't just flipping contracts or they weren't just selling contracts or wholesaling, as some of you guys call it. They were actually closing. They were actually closing. And so it was in property records that just a few months prior, the house sold for X. And yet Zillow was still willing to overpay it. And what I find really fascinating was how reliant they were not on local talent telling them the real numbers, yeah. but their AI. And it's mm-hmm. like they didn't – that's the part I find – I'm going to be find it very interesting mm-hmm. to read how they publicly rationalized to all their investors how they could rely so heavily on something that was so unproven and, if yeah. anything, proven to be unreliable. And we are talking yes. about an iteration of Z-Estimate, of course. Yeah, and I, I mean, I can only imagine that they probably touted that as, well, we're a tech company and we have these fancy algorithms and they're mostly right. And, you know, the market's on the upswing, so we could be off by a couple of percent margin and still do okay. And yet, you know, the, this is an interesting from a lot of different standpoints, right? One of them being that, yes, it is possible even in an up market, even on a hot seller's market, to actually overpay. Yeah, well, overpay in a colossal way. Overpay and then yeah. put more money in it to put the house, you know, to flip the house and then lose on average, according to the research we did yesterday, $80,000 per flip. Yes. It's incredible. And so now, as again, it's coming out that they're going to unload, it was, I think, close to $3 billion for the houses yeah, or something like right. that. Mm-hmm. 7,000 or 9,000 houses. 7,000 homes they want to unload. They're going to unload those to investors, not investors like in mom and pops, but big institutional investors that can write basically big checks to buy tons of houses. That's what they're going to do. But they're going to have to sell them to the institutional investors at, guess what, a discount because they, after all, overpaid. And in fact, they have publicly said that specifically in Phoenix, that 93% of their inventory in Phoenix will be sold for a loss. Right. Uh, Guys, again, I don't get it. (laughs) I I didn't know that that was really a business model. That's not something that I've read about or heard economists talk about. That's the very definition of a money losing enterprise. That must be what it is. Yes, exactly. Well, it, it is an interesting story to follow, though, because Uh, You know, I was talking to one of our great brokers today, and she said, you know, if you were a broker or an agent in Phoenix and you saw this inventory on the pipeline that had previously closed at X, let's say you didn't really realize the impact of Zillow, wouldn't you think that your market was adjusting and declining? Because now you had a sale for this. Now they're selling it to an institutional investor. It's closing at that. And you're trying to do a CMA on a normal person's That's true. House. That's a really good point. You know, that that's I, a boots on the ground comment. Well, that I don't know how many exact houses you might remember from your mm-hmm. search that they own in, say, for example, Phoenix. But yeah, you're right. If they mm-hmm. basically clo- have a bunch of houses that they're going to end up selling at a discount from what they closed at them in the last six months, mm-hmm. that really is going to screw up comps. Screw up comps, mess with the market, mess with people's perception of what's really going on out there. Mess with people who are in contract, whose houses now won't appraise because Zillow is now putting 50 or 100 houses that are hypothetical comps for that house for sale. Mm -hmm. And will appraisers adjust for the fact that these are, you know, Zillow screw up houses? No. No, they won't. And remember, when Zillow bought them, they weren't... 
excuse me, they were not subject to appraisal because it was all cash. Yep. And so now you filter down to them selling it at a discount to, you know, in some cases, regular buyers who are subject to appraisal. It really messes with that whole, you know, the math of doing a CMA. This really is what it feels like a, uh, again, it's a historic thing because they're really, I'm just even outside of real estate and companies of the sure. scale. I mean, Gazilla had a market cap of, I think it was what, 20 or $30 billion or something? Had. Had, right. And if you look at, if you, there's very few businesses that are that large that have this large of a public screw up. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you're talking about, for example, Dieselgate from Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. You're talking about uh, maybe even the cigarette stuff that happened. Mm -hmm. And and all these, you know, what you guys get the point here. Some, this, these are dominoes that are all going to cause more dominoes to fall. And so who knows what's going to happen with Zillow. there's many strains to this too. You know, I was reading about uh, rents going up in some of these markets because the seller would log on and see that the value, yep. the quote value, the zestimate of their home had gone up dramatically. And in fact, that same broker I was talking to, uh, Tammy in Virginia, she said, you know, she has seen from day to day uh, when there's bids happening that the zestimate would go up like radically day over day. And then say that you're the homeowner and you, you think, well, I might as well raise rents. And there were examples online where the uh, the landlord had said, I'm raising your rent because look at what I found on Zillow. And this is why, and your rent's not keeping up with the house value, so I'm raising your rent. Well, Julie, just fathom if it were a real estate company mm -hmm. that did this kind of thing. If it was a traditional real estate company. Oh, you'd be thrown that, under the bus instantly. It, it, I can't even imagine what would happen. Yeah, and and let's just see how much, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. Leash Public gives Zillow because of the fact that they're a tech company or how much they try Certainly to whitewash what they did. they were XYZ broker, right? Yeah. And so guys, here's the punchline. Don't buy leads from Zillow. Let's, yeah. you know, don't, they're going to go back and they're going to try to probably go back into the business of trying to sell buyer leads. And I think if you guys are not essentially, uh, if you haven't been watching the Zillow history about the whole, you know, ebb and flow of the buying and selling of buyer leads, you got to realize that does not end well. And they don't seem to have a plan B of, as far as how to raise revenue based on what uh, we've been reading online. So they're going to probably have to go back. And the only way that they're going to survive is by selling you guys uh, and, and, you know, who knows how bad these buyer leads are going to be, but selling you buyer leads, hoping mm -hmm. that you don't um, know or are not experienced enough to know that buying buyer leads is really the first step in a long you know, <laughs> path to getting out of the business. Exactly. Yes. Well, let's reel this into our topic du jour, the four stages of mastery. So I have a question for you. Do you think that what happened with the Zillow iBuyer debacle was unconscious incompetence they, they just didn't know that it was going to hit the fan at that level? Or do you think it was arrogance, hubris, or just rolling the dice and speculative? Um, it was arrogance, hubris, and ignorance. And it was mostly them thinking that they could somehow be as smart as, you know, all these investors with lifetimes of experience, not to mention the real estate industry. Well, but and that does sound kind of like unconscious incompetence. They don't know what they don't know. They assumed that they knew. Right. But perhaps and not. The nuance, the thing that the reason that real estate and real estate agents will always be necessary, and this really is the bottom line, is because a real estate it, it's very complex. And I don't care how streamlined you make the process, it's gonna be very complex. You guys know if you don't know, you're gonna learn that properties could have significant uh, values, a difference in value, just depending on stupid little things that will never show up in a CMA. In an algorithm. The side, exactly. The side of the street it's sitting on, the direction it's sitting, whether or not the breeze catches it this way, whether or not all these little, okay, this, this floor plan is slightly obsolete to the, you know, plan, all these different little nuanced differences. 
that you can't just generalize. And that's the reason that people will always be using the services mm -hmm. of a caring, competent agent. And I do not care if we all of a sudden start living in some sort of, you know, virtual, uh, you know, uh, Facebook created, what are they calling it? I don't even remember what it's called. This new, thing that, this new thing that Zuckerberg wants to yeah. create, right? Some matrix type situation. There's still going to be people that want to live someplace to put the little matrix pod so they can have some safe place to enter into the matrix. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? I mean, so, so at the end of the day, guys, caring, competent, skilled agents will always have a place in the industry. You will not ever be able to replace real estate agents. And the real bottom line reason, aside from the nuanced bits of information, is because agent is because people consumers are going to want the guidance from somebody who is an expert and that's the reason these tech companies they all start out with these big lofty consumer facing statements and how they're going to revolutionize the transaction that bs has been going on since the 90s mm -hmm. you know we're going to disintermediate agents we're going to remove all the slack in the the process we're going to streamline the process and yet consumers don't want it it's not because the tech companies haven't been able to create it it's because consumers don't want it and now finally i think frankly this is really what's the bottom this is proof zillow's colossal failure mm -hmm. and they have tried every which way to uh, underhandedly, in my opinion, mm -hmm. disintermediate real estate agents since they got into the business. The way they went out originally trying to basically selling buyer leads and trying to fool the public mm -hmm. as to who the listing agent was and all these other little slightly devious things that they did, yes. uh, which were, really were, I think, pulling the uh, rug from underneath uh, the established listing agents and brokerages, right? True. And essentially wedging themselves in the middle of transactions that would yes. have nor uh, normally gone to the listing agents and list the brokers and the, and the agents in the For in sure. that brokerage, mm -hmm. right? All these little things that they've done are all coming home to roost. Well, so to bring this full circle, you asked a question at the top of the podcast. Is the demise of the Zillow iBuyer a victory for real estate? And I think everything you it just is. said shows that it is. It's certainly a victory for brokers and agents who will have more power than they did with the iBuyer around. So, you know, that's pretty interesting. So we are talking about <laughs> Zillow, right? But <laughs> yeah. we are, well, it's because Julie and I have always, you guys know this, if you, most of you listen to us every day, this number one listen to daily podcast. Oh, by the way, if you guys have not given us a five-star review on iTunes, please do that. A lot of you send us praise and emails and you send us texts thanking us for this or the other thing, but please do seriously consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes. We would sincerely appreciate it. A five-star review on iTunes. And so here's what ultimately happens from all of this is that the industry needs to and agents need to wake up to the fact that in order for you to have a long-term sustainable real estate business, you have to be a proactive lead generator. So many of you, again, I know probably 80% of you haven't been in the business long enough to know what I'm saying is true. But so many of you get into this industry and you think that it's the normal, natural progression of the real estate agent's career to buy buyer leads. It's not. That's just something that really came on since the advent of, since Zillow started selling buyer leads and, right. you know, in, in mass. But that's unconscious incompetence. They don't know the difference because it's become normalized. Exactly. And now you're going to see that pendulum swing back to agents to know how to proactively lead generate. Specifically, agents to know how to proactively lead generate for listings. Guys, stop buying buyer leads. Stop chasing buyers as your primary source of business. And I'm going to give you the bottom line and then let's do go to the next phase of mastery sure. here is if you have to choose where to spend your time every single day, you have to choose to spend your time with people that have to transact. Now, again, I'm gonna skip a lot of it and just cut to it. There's no such thing as a buyer that has to buy. 
buyers and often do will take themselves out of the market. They'll decide not to buy. They'll decide to stay renting. They'll decide not to upgrade. They'll decide they'll just not, they won't move. So again, buyers take themselves out of the market all the time because there's no such thing as a truly motivated buyer. Some of you will say a 1031 tax exchange, yeah. and I'll say that's probably your most motivated buyer, but even that, that investor can pay the taxes on the, uh, the profit the they made from that flip or that investment. Mm -hmm. Now, there are dozens of examples of sellers that have to sell. So if you, you know, divorces, bankruptcies, forced relocation, owning two homes at once, all these- You will well, have to sell in the sense that it's possible something bad will happen to them if they don't sell. Exactly. They don't get their new job job and relocate. They, you know, have been told by a judge in a divorce decree, you must be selling. Um, you no longer can make the payment. You've got to downsize that payment. Inherited so, properties. Yeah. We, all these things we teach you guys how to go after. So if you have to choose to spend your, you know, usable uh, best hours during the day. Well, Life energy. Exactly. You need to spend it focused on uh, going after people that have to transact not people that will maybe transact if all the stars align. Because what you're going to see in some of these markets is a lot of buyer angst. The buyers are going to see these properties come for sale. The properties are going to be at a lesser price. Even if they don't actually hit the market, because a lot of them won't, they're going to hit investors. But the sale prices will show up in comps. That's going to cause more buyer consternation. You guys see what's happening? And not every buyer even has the chops to close right? or it, compete. Exactly. And it, it's, it's even gotten more horrible this year for a lot of buyers uh, buyer agents in this country because buyer agent commissions have been dropping mm -hmm. and by the way zillow and open door were largely to blame for that we talked about this yesterday Definitely. but it's worth repeating julie what was the we found yeah. and we well confirmed. both of them both of the open door and zillow there were quite a bit of reporting on this about four about four months ago i think where they were both actually studying quarter by quarter. I think it was last year, actually. It, it started last year, but remember, we're studying quarter by quarter right. as it transpires, right? So they started out, okay, so let's erode from whatever market they were studying. And there, I think there were three or four different examples. Atlanta was one. I think Phoenix was another one. Yep. Because we mentioned Phoenix a lot because that's where iBuyer started. That was their first market. So they've got a lot in, over there. So they first said, well, if the going rate is this, let's see if we knock off we're not gonna we're, we're not going to talk about commissions because Julie's got a real estate license. But That's why I'm saying if the going rate is. I know. Is. So, but we can say things like if it, the going rate was three oranges. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so and, what and they did. a quarter of an orange away. Right. What they did is they basically reduced the buyer agent co-op on the listings that they were flipping. To the point where the uh, it, to the point where they wanted to see at what point did it have a detrimental effect on the ability for the house to right. sell co-op. So they studied it. Are they still selling at this rate? Okay, so that went well this quarter. Let's lower it again next quarter. Let's see whether they still sell. Until finally, it got to be pretty low. I mean, so, about half of what it should be. So these companies were going after buyer agent commissions. They were changing the standard for what commissions were, what the sellers would expect to pay in those marketplaces. And sellers were like, well, if I can co-op less, I'm going to co-op less. It's, sure. In their minds, it was more money in their pockets. Sold is sold. Exactly. And in a hot seller's market, guess what? Those types of things happen. The moral of the story, guys, is as Zillow starts to leverage themselves, one might say weasel their way back into selling you guys buyer leads, you've got to realize that they are going to try to take business away from you again in the future. They're not and your friend. you should not be buying business. Do not buy buyer leads. Learn how to proactively lead generate. Exactly. So <laughs> we keep on trying to circle back to our topic here. Uh, where we're talking about the stages of mastery. Now, the first stage was unconscious incompetence. You didn't know what you didn't know. Then you move into conscious competence, where you now understand that you've got a conscious... Co okay, so I skipped one 
conscious incompetence is where you you realized that you had to learn some stuff, right? This is where a lot of coaching happens. You learn about this thing called scripts. You learn about the pre-listing package. You actually have a listing presentation, a buyer presentation. You track everything. You're starting to set more appointments. This is where the learning starts. And this is where we often say, earn while you learn. So again, and this is by the way, in the real estate treasure map that we talk about this in great detail and we help you to identify where you're unconsciously incompetent. That's when you don't know what you don't know in essence. And then usually what happens is you are going to have a, a series of losses, hope not too many. And then you fall into the That's conscious right. incompetence phase. And it almost always happens on the listing side. Mm -hmm. You'll think you got a listing appointment. It's going to be a great and you end up losing the listing. And if you're willing to set your ego aside and you're willing to think of real estate and through a professional lens, then you're going to force yourself to go to the conscious incompetence phase where you're going to start figuring out what you don't know. That's the perfect time for you guys to hire a coach. That's what we do. Very difficult to coach anybody that's at the unconscious incompetence phase because you haven't had enough experience to know what you don't know. When you go to the conscious incompetence phase, it's usually because you had your nose bladed more than a couple times. And, and you, you get sick of it. And you get sick of it because that's not fun. Exactly. And by the way, that's when you guys are most susceptible, I won't do it, to going back to <laughs> buying buyer leads. It's, it's, when, it's when you guys are most susceptible to getting that, hey, this is Bobby from Zillow. We have a number of leads available in your marketplace if you'd like to buy a lead, right? It's when you have not been successful at something you failed and said, instead of saying, why did I fail? What can I do to get better? You start doing dumb things like- Go buying... to your leads dealer. Exactly. You go to your leads deal by the dumpster behind the office. Exactly. Okay. So it, it requires that you recognize that you've got stuff to learn. Again, that usually comes out of having your teeth kicked in a little bit. And your willingness to say, I, I will learn, I need a coach, I need help. And valuing the fact that, you know, people that have done this before you and have systems and proven methods can shorten the learning curve to the next stage, which is coming right up here oh, in sorry. our notes. I didn't Consci scroll. That's okay. Conscious competence. I always like to make sure I'm reading it right because they all kind of sound similar. I know. So conscious competence, this is when the agent understands or knows how to do something. However... Demonstrating that skill or knowledge now requires concentration. It can be broken down into steps. There's a heavy conscious involvement in executing the new skill. Yesterday, we talked about the um, seven-step listing process. We've done podcasts on, for example. You're using what you've learned, right? So you're not so good at it that you just walk out the door and wing it and win every time. You are saying, all right, I'm going on an appointment. Have I sent the pre-listing package? Do I know how to actually present what's in the pre-listing package? You are concentrating on what you're doing. This is that's conscious the, competence. That's the fun phase, actually, of this totally. whole of this. Because what happens is when you're in the conscious competence phase, as Julie was just saying, and just basically, you know, making it match what we're, you know, we're real estate coaches. Our real estate coaching is a system. It's not just you talking with a coach every single week. It's an yeah. A to Z system where we're showing you how to set up every aspect from proactive lead generation, your pre-listing pack, your pre-qualifications, your listing presentation, every single aspect. If you want to build a team, we've got education on that. If you want to learn how to basically hire buyer's agents, we got you there. Marketing, luxury, distressed, all the different facets of real estate. That's part of our complete A to Z real estate system. That's what our coaching program is all about. Where it gets exciting is when somebody's been in the coaching program, they have practiced the listing presentation. They, yep, agents usually will become curiously motivated 
to now set more appointments. So when your pre-listing pack is done, when you actually start knowing what to say and how to say it, when you've actually had the experience of pre-qualifying a few people and realizing, holy tamale, there is this, a difference. Tim, this Tim and Julie Harris thing really does work. Yeah. Okay, then you start seeing that the system that you are creating for your real estate business is predictable, is du duplicatable. You don't have to wait from Bobby from Zillow to give you a call, try to sell you a lead because you know how to create your own business. Exactly. And this is the fun part for coaches too, because we see you learn and grow on basically a daily basis. And we see those aha moments where you go, you know what? I just had like the most incredible thing happen. I used the pre-qualification script. I used the pre-listing package. And when I showed up, they just signed. And, and it's so fun to see that because the next thing that happens is you get really motivated. And this is when people upgrade their goals they do the treasure map again well, it's because they start, it's a superpower. It's because they start realizing what they can create with their business. Yes. They start realizing that, holy shit, there's not a lack of opportunity. There's not a lack of listings. There's not lack of anything. Abundance is everywhere. Opportunity is everywhere. And I know how to get it. Yes, you get into more control in this stage. You Well, this is this is the whole damn point. And how many of you actually make it to this conscious, uh, this conscious confidence phase? How many of you are going to put in the time? And remember one of Harris' rules. I forget which one it is. Do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. If you're not willing to follow that, you will never get to conscious competence. That's it. So there are some challenges that happen here. You've got to continue to polish and not start to develop an ego that because you won three in a row that you're going to win the next one. You still have to work on your skills and use them. Time management can become an issue because now you've got more plates spinning. The agent will likely be handling more volume of business than ever before, and sometimes mistakes occur. You can get overwhelmed. If you don't have a transaction coordinator after you start cranking out this business, this is about the stage that you start looking at that. And we show you how to do it. That's mm -hmm. part of the coaching program. We're going to show you when to hire a transaction coordinator. We're going to even help you identify one. We're going to give you sample ads of ads you want to run. Or frankly, one of the best ways and options is just run a uh, TC, uh, use a virtual TC, not someone you have on staff so they can just work for you mm -hmm. on every transaction. But as you do more deals consistently, we show you basically how to meter out when it's time for you to feel comfortable frankly, be financially stable enough to hire somebody full-time to be your full-time assistant. That's right. Other challenges that happen here is you've got to become better and better at pricing because you have more opportunity. You've got to see more homes, get that experience, as well as negotiating. Because when if you stay too long in the first two stages, you're not really getting the experience that would cause you to have to be a good pricer or negotiator. Now, Julie called this last one a challenge, but I'll say it's a warning. And what happens sometimes is when people start experiencing success at this scale for the first time, they get arrogant, they get lazy, and they get complacent. And what they're going to start doing is, be, and this is the, this is absolutely the problem with being in this, uh, this level. Just because you're experiencing success doesn't mean you are going to maintain that level of success. You have to push past this newfound success emotional reaction, the past the uh, over, uh, you know, basically you start getting arrogant. That's really the, yep. the best way of saying it. Mm -hmm. And Julie and I have coached so many agents at this level and, or they said, I was at this point where I had this many listings. Mm -hmm. I was making this much money. And then you'll say, well, what happened? And maybe, yeah. you know, it was three, four years ago prior to coaching. And they'll say, well, I overspent on personal life. I increased my overhead. I did this. I stopped prospecting. I stopped sending my pre listing steps. And so what happens is then people slide back in to the beginning phase and where they have to rebuild everything they've created. Meanwhile, your competition is sneaking up on you. Totally. When that happens. And that happens in all businesses at all scale. You've seen it. Well, frankly, I'll mention it again. You see it with Zillow. 
I mean, basically, yeah. Zillow got to the point where they're consciously, they felt they're consciously competent at uh, investing in houses, and somehow, magically, they were going to ride out all their crappy modeling, and of course, it didn't work. Um, and so that was them being arrogant that they thought they didn't have to keep on changing and evolve. They probably at some level, and it'll come out in this Netflix special you watch, mm -hmm. they're gonna, they probably at some level thought, well, we got it all figured out. We're good. Yeah. Well, I mean, after all, we're a tech company and we got these algorithms figured out. And we can always raise more money in the debt markets. And or we'll charge realtors more. That's what we'll oh, do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll get back. Honey hole. We'll get back on the phone, right? We'll start selling agents buyer leads. Want a lead? Want a lead? <laughs> hey, this is Bobby from Zillow. Exactly. So, I got a lead. I know. Do you want to do the yeah, last yeah, one do tomorrow last or one. today? No, let's do it okay. today. Okay. So if you can resist developing that ego and, you know, things that we just talked about, and you can keep yourself learning. Eventually, you are going to have a breakthrough into the fourth stage, which is called unconscious competence. This is where the agent has made so has done so much practice with a skill, like a listing presentation, that it's become second nature and can be performed easily. You've done it repetitiously. You've won repetitiously. As a result, the skill can be performed while executing other tasks. The individual might be able to teach it to others, depending on how and when it was learned. Now. Example, I wrote grizzled veterans. They take almost 100% of listings they go on. Although it's not just grizzled veterans if they follow our Harris we, rules, for Julie, example. With the coolest, I love helping grizzled veterans. I love helping sure. grizzled veterans stay grizzled veterans. <laughs> I love rehabbing them. I had great success 10 years ago, and I want to find it, and that's great. But I have to say the ones that are really fun are the new agents that kick grizzled veterans' yes, asses. that are simply coachable. Right. They just they don't, they don't plug into our coaching program. They don't ask questions. Just tell me what to do. Follow the system. Tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. Uh, you know, very low ego. They just, don't go around rewriting scripts. Right. They don't take surveys on Facebook exactly. if everybody else thought it was a and good idea. And they're not hopping from once. They're not trying to make their own system and they're not going to buy leads. Things. Exactly. And they'll go out in a marketplace and they will uh, quickly start beating or at least being competitive with the agents that have been there forever. Why are they able to do that? Because the, uh, the seller does not really give that much of a who a hoot about the fact that the other agent's been in the market forever. The energy and the enthusiasm and the professionalism, because as new agents following a system, we'll get that new agent the listing. Because they're not skipping steps. They're and, not doing things like showing up late because they right. figure they have the business. They're, they're not being assumptive and skip sending that pre-listing package because, you know, I got it in the bag. The reality of it is, guys, is the easiest market to get listings out of are, agent, are markets where agents have gotten fat and happy and they are complacent. And it happens at a, it, right now across the country where these seller markets have been going on forever. Agents have been not doing anything to get their yeah, listings sold. You're going to see, because it's the time of year, listings stay on the market longer, more expired listings. And those agents that were arrogantly handling their sellers, that, you know, not meeting their sellers' expectations, those agents are not going to know how to keep those listings. And they didn't do much to get the listings in the first place. Yes. This is the perfect time for you to hit the market with an organized system. Yes. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody today about the fact that as you go up market, and we were talking about expireds, right? As you go up market, you have, actually have less competition and more um, assuming the business. Right? Well, let's let's talk about that from our own experience. Sure. I mean, when Julie and I started selling real estate, our first year in the business between our pendings and our closed, and this did happen, we sold 103 houses, individual houses. It's, from what I understand, it's not happened. It didn't happen before, and hasn't happened uh, since. National Association of Realtors. We have a lot of articles. We wrote a book called Zero to Ten Million in One Year. All this amazing stuff happened to us back when we were in our early 20s. But the reason I'm telling you that is because Julie and I were able to do that in a market that had dozens of very well entrenched, probably realistically four to six, maybe ten 
really damn good agents, mm -hmm. and we are still able to go in there and get business. And how do we do it? Exactly the way we tell you to do it in our coaching business. That's right. We, we would go out there and we would do what they were not willing to do when they weren't willing to do it, and we were willing to do it at a higher level than they were willing to do. And even though Julie and I look like we're 13 and 12, basically, <laughs> we got into yeah. real estate, and even though we were wearing clothes from a thrift store and we got into real estate, all these things are true, we still got the listings. Now, here's what we did. We worked in this the market that we started in. We expanded, expanded, but the average sale price that we are selling basically average sale price homes for Columbus, Ohio, Worthington, you know, four three two one four, four three zero eight five, four three two three five, all these different areas that we specialize in. But then Julie and I said, let's expand. Let's go across town to uh, to this market where the average sale price was close to a million, where we had no uh, ties to the community whatsoever. All the kids, all the realtors had been uh, grown up with the other realtors that were there, grew up with all the other people. It was a prominently Jewish community. Julie and I are not Jewish. Country they, club community. Country didn't club. Didn't grow up on that. Julie and I never gone to a country golf club. Golf course, didn't do that. I didn't know, wouldn't know a golf course that hit me in the head with the back of a golf ball. So we had no <laughs> right being there. But what did we do? We went out there and the same time of year that it is now, the listings were expiring. The other agents who were going on their vacations to Tahiti or wherever were saying, just take it off, put it back on the market in yep. the spring. Julie and I started working the expireds. We stacked up, it was like 11 or 12 listings that we had that were gonna go live in the spring. The spring rolled around, we paced these out because we didn't wanna flood the market. We paced these out over 60 days. We blew the market away because we did the exact same thing that we did to take that normal price listing, you know, maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from this new market. We did the exact same thing, said the exact same thing, did same exact pre-listing pack. Every single thing was Better the same. Better sale price. Exactly, and we still didn't look, maybe at that point we looked like we were 15 and 16. Right, exactly. And, and we also went after a lot of new construction in that we neighborhood. Did. So you know the things that we teach you guys. So to round the bend but on, on- We could do yeah. that because we were basically unconsciously competent about our skill set. Because we had cranked out a whole bunch of transactions. Because we'd sold like hundreds, if not thousands of homes in a normal sale price. And we knew we could walk into any situation and we didn't have to think about what we were going to say before we said it. That's right. And I have to say, looking back, and we didn't know it at the time, but when we were in uh, conscious competence and we were learning, we were learning by doing, yep. right? But we were also learning what to do or not to do from some of those grizzled veterans. You know, when a seller would say, you know what, I was going to list with so-and-so, but gosh, they didn't even call me back for three days. Right. I mean, or they were late. They were late. Or they had no pre-listing pack. That's right. They were they arrogantly assumed the business was theirs because of the fact that their kids went to school, you know, at the same private school. The sellers exactly. did not like being taken for granted. And Julie and I were able to take advantage of the other agent's complacency. And also say, note to self, let's never treat our own past clients that way. Exactly. I mean, you learn good things and you learn bad things, too. And if you're one of these agents and one of these, you know, you're a grizzled agent in one of these markets and you know what I'm saying is may, probably true about you, fix it. That's right. Now, when you're in this last unconscious competence stage and you basically know what you're doing, um, you've got some, you know, I was talking about what's the stimulus to learn. Well, the problem here is there might not be any. You're making plenty of money. You've made plenty of money. Danger, complacency, and ego may become a serious detriment. Boredom may hold an agent back from doing what they really could do. This is where you have to learn to deal with uh, repetitious boredom at yep. some level. Stimulus to learn. The possibility of delegating and systematizing to buy their time back, execute on a bigger and better uh, goals in life. It's different things for different people. We do have a lot of our coaching clients that have gotten to this point 
and and they're motivated by different things. But, but you we, have to fight the boredom. What aspect. we tell you guys to do when you get this phase is not try to build a big team that's going to suck away all your net profit. Yeah. Not try to start delegating everything. That's definitely something you have to do to build a business, start delegating cer certain Some things. Some things like transaction coordination. Absolutely. But what we actually will suggest you do is start reading books and listening to podcasts that have nothing to do with real estate. Literally get a hobby. Keep your but, goals polished. Right, too. because just because you've gotten really good at selling real estate when you're at that level, don't go and railroad your success that's going to throw you back down at the un unconscious incompetence phase. Yep. So you've got a business going. You've got listings coming in. You've got you've built a reputation, which the kids nowadays call a brand. You've mm -hmm. actually have consistent yeah. deal flow. You know what to say and how to say it, when to say it, and you don't even have to consciously think. You can be asleep and you can take a listing appointment. You get, so don't you, wreck it. Don't wreck <laughs> it. And if you find yourself getting bored or complacent, well, that's kind of a luxury, but as Julie just said, repetitious boredom pays off. That you are in the what we call the uh, the mailbox, or what is it? What are those old places called where people would take their mail? Post office. <laughs> the, you're in the post office phase of your business, yeah. where basically it's boring and it's predictable, and you're, yeah. it's not a lot of drama. That is perfect because that's when you start actually accumulating a lot of net profit, into which you then reinvest and you become rich. Guys, this is the pathway forward. Acknowledge where you are on these four uh, steps. Listen to the podcast for the last three days. Yeah, and, and you're not in the same stage on every aspect of real estate. You right. Know? I mean, you might be really good at pre-qualifying, but still get really freaked out when you have to compete on a listing presentation. It's not the same across the board, but you can go through and isolate what you know you need help on and get some coaching. If you want to have consistency in your business, here's the bottom line takeaway. Hopefully all of you will internalize this and never forget it. Do not build your house, your mansion, also known as your business, on land you do not own. The only way you can truly have a business is if you are a proactive lead generator. Those of you who are buying your business, those of you who are believing that you have to do a bunch of TikTok videos, those of you who are doing all that Mickey Mouse thinking that's going to create a long-term sustainable business for you, look around, read about the other failures that other people have had following that path. It does not work because you might have success for maybe a month, maybe a year, but then what's going to happen is something's going to change. It, the idea will become oversaturated. And then you're right back where you started in the unconscious competence phase. In unconscious in incompetence phase. The only way for you to truly go to the levels which you possibly could with learning how to be a proactive lead generator, following an actually proven, a proven system, and creating a real estate practice that has margins of 50, 60, 75%. You earn 10 grand, you keep 7,500 bucks or 8,500 bucks. Don't let the, essentially all these people trying to sell you stuff, don't let them have you believe that it's okay just to make 10 or 15 or in some cases 5%. There's so many people out there that are telling you, coaches unfortunately, that are telling you, you earn 10,000, you keep 1,000. That's normal. Yeah, that's terrible. That's, that's why you've got to do 3,000 deals to make any money then. Exactly. Oh no, You've congratulations, you sold 30 houses. You now hire an assistant, now two assistants. Now you hire a buyer's agent team. What's your brand? What's your, your CRM? What's your? Why are you allowing yourselves to be manipulated like that? Real estate is the simplest and most elegant business you could get into, provided you're focused on listing homes. There you have it. Anything else you'd like to say, guys? Get to work. Get to work. Listen to the past podcasts, especially the one yesterday about Zillow. And guys, we really would sincerely appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes. It means a lot to us. It affirms that we're on the right path with helping you guys build profitable businesses that are based on being of service to other people. Help us help all the folks that are out there looking for direction in their real estate businesses and give us a five-star review on iTunes. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.